One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake, so the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Well, good morning, Velocity Church. So glad that you're here with us today. My name is Chip Pryor. I'm the Creative Arts Director here at Velocity, and it is a pleasure to be speaking with you today. Now, speaking of speaking, that's hard to say 10 times fast, speaking of speaking. Speaking of speaking, did you know that public speaking is one of the biggest fears that people have? So raise your hand at home if you are afraid of public speaking. That's one of the really great things about quarantine is because usually I'm a little bit nervous about public speaking, but right now it's really easy. I'm just kind of speaking to a, to a camera, so that's, that's no big deal, right? Uh, but that's one of the top fears that people have, and it's actually been rated a top uh, fear over death. Think about that, that most people would fear public speaking more than they would fear death. And Jerry Seinfeld once said that, so at a funeral, you would rather be the person in the casket than the one delivering the eulogy. And so, um, yeah, public speaking. Whether it's public speaking or death, there are a lot of fears that we deal with. And so I made a list of a, fun, a few of them that are kind of familiar to a few. Most of these will be familiar. Maybe some of them won't, but we're going to go through a quick list. Uh, so raise your hand if you have claustrophobia. I think most of us have heard about this. So claustrophobia is when we know your fear of enclosed spaces. Uh, here's another one that 3.2 million Americans suffer from. It's called agoraphobia. So this is the opposite of claustrophobia. This is the fear of wide open spaces. So if you have claustrophobia and agoraphobia, I, I pray for you. That has got to be really, really rough. Uh, here's one that you might not have heard of. Uh, emitophobia or emetophobia. So think of emitting. This is one of the top 10 fears that people have in America and it is the fear of vomiting in public. All right, so yeah, top 10 fear, emitophobia, emitting. Uh, here's one, politicophobia. This is the fear or abnormal dislike of politicians. And here's one, this is hard to say, arachabootyrophobia, arachabootyrophobia. Now, I might think, oh, it's got a rack, so it must be spiders, it has nothing to do with spiders, it has nothing to do with booty, even though that word is in there too. Arachabootyrophobia is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. I did not make that up. That is from the Google machine, so you know it's true. Uh, this past week, um, I facilitated a couple of Facebook groups online, and so I asked them, hey, what are one of your top fears? So I kind of listed kind of the fun ones. Not that fear is ever fun, but you know, listed some of the, the top fears that people have, like claustrophobia, agoraphobia, things like that. And the number one fear, and this was my vote as well, was arachnophobia. So fear of spiders. I have no idea where my fear of spiders came from. I didn't have any trauma growing up as a kid around spiders. Maybe it was spider movies, I don't know. But I have this sort of unfounded, ungrounded fear of spiders. No spider has ever caused me harm that I know of. And so, so but a lot of us, yeah, have, have fear of spiders and snakes and things like that. 
But then I did this other poll, and this one wasn't as fun. Uh, these were some of the top fears as listed by Gary Smalley in the book called DNA of Relationships. And I'm gonna go through each one of these, and so you don't have to raise your hand at home, but just see if any of these resonate with you. See if this is a fear that you often have. And a way to tell that you have this fear or that you experience this fear is by the self-talk that you might say to yourself. So I'll tell you what the fear is, and then I'll say maybe a typical phrase that you say either out loud or just kind of in your head, and maybe it will resonate with you. So the first fear was the fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. So this is where you say to yourself, I am unwanted. The fear of abandonment, that everyone will leave me, that I'll have to take care of myself eventually. The fear of failure, where you say to yourself, I'm not successful at anything, that everything I do, everything I touch fails. Uh, the, the fear of worthlessness, that I'm useless, I'm no good to anybody. The fear of being unloved, that no one cares about me. The fear of unacceptance, where I'm not popular enough. This is a fear that a lot of people have just being online, that I'm not relevant enough, I'm not popular enough. And lastly, the fear of insignificance where I'm irrelevant, that I just don't really matter. So these are some, some deeper fears that, I mean, I could check most of those off the list for me and you might be able to as well. And when it comes to fear, there, there are some modern words that we come up with fear because it doesn't really sound that manly or that strong to say, oh, I'm so afraid, I'm so fearful all the time. But we have words that say the same thing, that stressed or was stressed out, uh, that I worry, I'm just worried about the situation. Um, anxiety, and you'll say that I have anxiety, like it's a condition. Uh, panic, I suffer from panic or panic attacks. Uh, anger. Uh, Rob is talking about anger next week, and anger is a secondary response to fear. And so you might think you have an anger problem, you might think you have temper tantrums. If that's so, you actually have fear at the root of that. Um, depression, and fear is at the root of all depression. It's probably the biggest ingredient to depression symptoms that there is. And if you think about fear, fear is not quote unquote wrong. There's nothing wrong with fear, although it's very unpleasant to feel fear. I believe it's God's kind of protection device for us. Uh, and fear is simply this. Okay, here's the definition of fear, or one of the definitions. It is the ability to acquire information and project into the future. It's the uh, ability to acquire information from your surroundings, from your environment, and to project onto the future. And this is really helpful, for instance, if you go to the edge of a cliff, if you have fear of heights, that's probably a good thing. So if you go to a thousand foot cliff and there's winds howling around, you probably should have a healthy dose of fear so you don't do anything really stupid. So these are the fears that keep you alive. But aside from that too, that fear also gives us the ability to, to hope, to dream, to innovate, to invent. Uh, it is the, the mother of invention. But here's the deal, you don't want fear to control you. You don't want fear to be chronic throughout your, your waking days and your waking hours and fear when you're sleeping at night. And so many of us just have chronic fear 24-7 around the clock. And it's just this endless series of what ifs. You know, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if I get COVID-19? What if I lose my job? What if I can't pay my bills? What if I get kicked out of my house? What if, what if? And those just can spiral out of control. I was thinking about the most terrified I've ever been. 
And uh, I don't know if it's the most terrified, but it, it happened when I was 18 years old. Okay, so I'm a young, vibrant, healthy uh, young man. And my friends and I, we rented a Betamax tape. So this is gonna date me a little bit. So we got a Betamax tape from the video rental store. Remember when those <laughs> were around? And we rented this uh, movie called The Shining. And this was the scariest movie I'd ever seen. And so my friends and I, we, we rented this, we went to his basement, we made popcorn, and we um, watched this movie. And on my drive home at like two in the a.m., I'm driving home and I am freaked out. I'm checking my rear view mirror for any ghosts, you know, or two little girls or anything like that. And probably for the next couple of weeks, I mean, The Shining invaded my dreams. And every time I would, you know, be afraid of the dark, I was looking for, for ghosts and things like that. And, That's just kind of an example of like how fears can be so unfounded because I was never in danger. Uh, But see, I'd I'd watched this movie, I'd seen images and I heard sounds that went through my eye gate, through my ear gate, and enabled me to camp on these fearful thoughts. So I have all these fearful thoughts and my emotions are experiencing the emotion of fear. And that's how we're wired by God. We are, our emotions are a secondary response to whatever we're putting in our head. And so your emotions don't know the difference. And so that was my experience with fear as an 18 year old watching horror movies. I don't watch much horror movies uh, because of that. They don't really work too well in my life. Now Jesus talked about fear all the time, all the time. It is the most repeated commandment in the entire Bible. And it's just two words, just two words. And here they are, fear not, fear not. Sometimes the translation is do not be afraid. In other words, Jesus or God says, just, just stop it. Stop being afraid. Do you find that helpful? I kind of don't myself. You know, hopefully that doesn't sound sacrilegious, but sometimes that doesn't really help. Like, I'm full of fear, and Jesus says, fear not, do not be afraid. And it's just so easy to say, but as a human, it's just impossible or feels sometimes impossible to do. And maybe you've heard this command, fear not. Did you know that this command appears 366 times in the Bible? So that's one for every day of the year and an extra one for leap year. Now, I actually don't know if that's true or not. I have not personally went and counted the the fear nots and do not be afraid commandments in the Bible, but I know it's on almost every page. And the reason I think it is, whether it's 366 times or, or more, I don't know, it's there a lot because I think that supposes that our human default is fear. It's just part of the human experience and Jesus and God has to tell us over and over and over till it sinks in our head that we don't have to be afraid, that we don't have to let chronic fear control us. And so I wanna go back to the story in Luke that I read at the beginning and maybe you've heard it before. Uh, maybe if you grew up in church or Sunday school class, there was a, like a picture like this, like the flannel graph picture. So you're, the flannel graph is nothing but a calm, like see, it's a sunny day, and then all of a sudden the squall comes on, and so there's, the teacher puts the, the dark cloud and the lightning bolts, and then Jesus stands up, and everyone's just kind of, you know, oh, very, very, that's, that's very nice. Uh, so we're going to kind of break down that passage and point out a couple things. So Luke 8.23 says, A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Now the word squall, that's not something we use very often and maybe you have been in one of those before, maybe you haven't, but a squall is a sudden, violent, furious storm that comes on without 
warning. So this was a major, major event that happened across this lake. And so the people in the boat, the disciples, they couldn't see anything. Have you ever been in a storm like that where you can't see anything, where you've lost all sense of direction, where the, the rain is coming down in sheets? It's like raining like sideways and, and it's loud. It is super loud. So in order to talk to anyone, there's no talking. You have to yell in people's face to be able to, to communicate. So this is the scene that's going on. It is a terrifying, loud, massive, violent storm. And the water is coming on the boat and the disciples are probably scooping it out as fast as they can, but it, it is going under and it's a bad, bad scene. And so here's the weird thing. Jesus was sleeping. Jesus was sleeping. Now, I don't know, I, I'm a pretty deep sleeper, but if you throw me in a boat that's being tossed and turned in the middle of a storm and you're throwing cold water on my face and people are running around screaming, I'm probably gonna wake up, but Jesus is, is sleeping. So my, my two theories are, one, that he was so exhausted. He was so exhausted from life and ministry that you can sleep through something like that. So that's probably the more plausible one. But th this other theory is that maybe he was playing possum. You know, he knew it was gonna happen. So maybe he's just kind of watching, you know, one eye closed and one eye open and just kind of watching the scene. Maybe he's giggling to himself. Uh, I think the first one is probably the more plausible one, but whatever it was, the, uh, the writer of uh, Luke tells us that he was, he was sleeping. So Luke 8, 24 says, the disciples went and woke him saying, master, master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Now I intentionally didn't scream in the microphone for your sake, but I would love to do that. I'm not gonna do that, but I would love to just, you know, dramatically share, like, they weren't going over, hey, Jesus, hello, tap, tap, tap. They were like, you know, waking him up, screaming, just like, we are going to drown, we are going to drown, you know? Do you not care, Jesus, do something. And he got up, he rebuked the storm, and everything was calm. He got up, he calmed the storm. This is fascinating because Jesus doesn't panic. He doesn't stress, he doesn't worry, he doesn't get anxious. Our God does not panic. And I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome that we serve a God that doesn't freak out when the world is going crazy. Uh, we, we panic. We panic because, again, back to the definition, we take information from our surroundings and we project onto the future. That's what the disciples were doing. They were taking information from the storm and them taking on water and this is gonna be a bad situation when we, when we drown. Uh, this is the end of our life. This is, uh, this is how we're designed by God. But God doesn't panic. God doesn't panic. You know why? Because he has 100% accurate information. He has all the information. He created this world. He created the universe. He invented time. And he is mighty. He is mighty and strong. He is powerful. And he demonstrated just a, a sliver of this, just a small little piece of this, of his power, when he spoke to Mother Nature, when he controlled the weather with a phrase from his mouth. Luke 8, 25 says, in fear and amazement, they asked to one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. In fear and amazement is the phrase. Now, Luke is a doctor and a historian who, is, uh, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. He wasn't one of the 12 disciples, and so he was getting his information probably from Matthew, and I think Matthew got his information from, from Peter. Anyway, they were recounting the story to Luke about what had happened, and they said, we were afraid. 
right? We were terrified. But then when Jesus calmed the storm, then we were really, really afraid. It's like we had all new levels of fear and amazement after Jesus called in the storm. So in comparison to a, just a, a furious storm, that's, that's nothing compared to the one who can speak a word and, and calm it. And they asked the perfect question. In their amazement, they asked the most perfect question. The question, who is this? Who is this? And this is the most important question they could have asked. It is the most important question that you can ask. It is the most important question that I'll ever ask. You know, who is Jesus? And maybe even more important than asking the question is attempting to answer that. Um, And real quick, Velocity, this is why we exist. We exist to help people find Jesus and love God. So if you want to find some answers to that question, uh, I would just invite you to go to what Sarah told us about that, that website, velocitychurch.info backslash connect and, 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 find, and reach out to us. If you have questions about faith and want to learn more about what it means and uh, explore these, these truths and these, these, um, these claims about Jesus, answer that question. Don't go through life not asking the question and not attempting to answer the question of who Jesus is. It is the most important question you could ever ask and attempt to answer. Luke 8.25 says, where is your faith? He asked his disciples. Where is your faith? Another account says, why did you doubt? Matthew's account in the King James Version says, oh ye of little faith. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. Oh ye of little faith. Well, that's where it comes from, this story here. And again, I always thought this was a little insensitive of Jesus. Why would he chastise the disciples for, oh, ye of little faith? You know, I mean, of course they were terrified and they probably had really good reason to be terrified. But I think we already read the answer. I think we already read the answer. We probably skipped over it. It's something that Jesus said to the disciples at the beginning of this passage and they either forgot it or ignored it. So going back to verse 22, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the lake. He says, we're going over there. Jesus said, he he placed an order. He made a command. In in a sense, he promised them we're going to the other side of the lake. And I wanna ask you, what what are God's promises to you? What are God's promises to you that you can anchor into where your fear will not stand a chance compared to the awesome promises of God. Well, there's a lot of them. I'm not gonna go through all of them, but I just picked out three uh, verses that I'm gonna kinda take out of context, but I think it relates to the, the fears that we all deal with on a regular basis. Basis. So 1 John 4.4 4 says, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Let me stop right there. If you have Christ inside of you, this is really cool, that you are a child of God. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. If you have Christ living inside of you, he is greater than any person, anything, Satan, anything in the world that you'll ever encounter. Here's another promise, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. So if you ever experience chronic, round-the-clock fear, you don't have to wonder where it came from. It did not come from God according to that passage. God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given you something else. He has given you power and love and a sound mind. And lastly, Hebrews 13, five, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And that's good advice. I mean, most of our worries are a lot of them around money and material possessions. Will I lose my job? Will I be able to provide in 
for my family and these economic times. And, and God says, hey, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's a great, great promise. So when God tells us to fear not 366 plus times in scripture, it doesn't mean that we'll never be afraid. Uh, but it says that I have the ability to pin my hopes, my dreams, my trust in the one who deserves my deepest reverence, my deepest worship, uh, my deepest fear. So my fear doesn't stand a chance. It doesn't stand a chance. When I stand in the perfect love of God, when I compare the perfect love of God that he gives me, my fear subsides. And um, here's the lesson, all right? Here's the conclusion to all of this is that you don't have to be overwhelmed or consumed with fear because, here's why, here's because, is because there is one who is more all-encompassing. There's more, there's one who is more overwhelming than any fear we'll ever face in this life. Now to cope with fear, we, we've got some bad, unhealthy coping mechanisms and there are lots of them, but here are just a couple off the top of my head that we use to just kind of cope with fear and stress and worry and anxiety and depression. Uh, drinking alcohol, drinking too much, overeating, overdoing it on prescription and over-the-counter drugs, dabbling in pornography, compulsive spending, shopping therapy, withdrawing socially, overworking, and just generally checking out in life, just not showing up in every day because you just don't have the energy or the wherewithal to do so. And so I kind of want to give you just four, four, I'll just call them fear-reducing strategies that I think would be healthy and would be good for you. So here are the four. One, realize that most of your fears and what ifs don't come true. Isn't that true? That most of the things that we worry about and stress about, most of them don't come true. Number two, conduct a personal lifestyle audit. So if you're ever gonna get audited for your taxes, just do that for yourself and your own health. And here are a couple off the top of my head. Uh, sleep eight hours a night if you can. Get eight hours of sleep a night and go to bed by 10 p.m. Don't stay up all night long. <laughs> this will help. Avoid all foods that come in a package or a box. Eat nutrient-dense real food in your life. Uh, go for a short walk every day. 20 minutes, a mile, the distance and the, the length is not important or the, the rate is not important, but just getting general movement in, if you can, is very, very important. Uh, avoid or severely limit alcohol consumption and 30 minutes of fresh air and, and sunshine a day, just exposing, exposing as much of your skin to sunlight and getting vitamin D. These are habits that will help you reduce fear. Just try it for one week. Try these things for one week and see if your fear and anxiety levels don't plummet. Uh, number three, avoid the news or severely limit your consumption. Here's what we do. When we watch things uh, on our screens, that's information. Uh, but it's communicated in a way and headlines are written in such a way to instill fear in us and to alarm us. And this might sound that I'm against the media, I'm not. All right, I am not against the media, I'm not anti-media, and I don't think that the media is sitting around, <laughs> how can we write a thing that will scare everybody to death? But they know that uh, the 
things that get the most clicks and the things that get the most viewership are the ones that are the most shocking. And you know this true because you, you, you click on those things and I click on those things, the things that are, that are fear-based and scary. That's just the way it works. And so what I wanna say about the media, and by the way, when I say the media, it's not even those people out there because if you are clicking on something or watching something, we're all a part of the media, okay? So I'm not trying to demonize media, but let me say this. The media is a business. It's not a nonprofit. It's not a public service informational outlet for you. It's a business, and they are in the business to make profits. And so what we had better be doing, we better be anchoring deep into the word of God, anchoring into that way more than we're scrolling news feeds or scrolling social media, and I am so guilty of this. I've been thinking about this this past week in relation to how much social media I've consumed and how much scrolling I've done and how much news I've consumed. The amount of time that I spent in God's word in proportion to that is, is really embarrassing. And so for me, that stops this week. That stops this week. I'm going to be consuming a lot more uh, scripture because I'm going to anchor my life and my fears into God's word above and beyond any, any headlines or any social media or anything like that. All right, here's the last one, and this is the most important one by far. Number four, cast your fears onto God. Cast your fears onto God. So Peter, one of the disciples, uh, he was in that boat and he failed. He failed the fear test in that boat in a bad way. Uh, He failed another boat ride later on where Jesus was walking on the water and he failed that miserably. He failed the fear test when Jesus was arrested in a middle school girl came up to him and said, hey, you are with him. He's like, no, I'm not. And so Peter failed fear tests throughout almost his whole life. And later on, he wrote in his epistle, he wrote something that I believe he wrote this to tell himself something, but to tell us something as well. And so here's what uh, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 5, 7. He says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. That word cast is is a verb and it could mean transfer. Transfer all of your fear onto him. Transfer all of your worry onto him. Transfer all of your anxiety, your fear, your depression, all these things that are chronically enslaving you. Cast all of that on him. And he tells us why, because he cares for you. He cares for you. And maybe that's all you need to hear today is that there's a God and he cares for you. Jesus loves us so much and he can handle anything you throw at him. He's the powerful one, we're not. He has all the information, we don't. Cast all of your cares and your fears onto God. See, because our fears, they just don't stand a chance when we do that. When we transfer all of that onto him, when we stand in his love and we anchor into the perfect love of God, our fears don't stand a chance. So how do we know? How do we know he cares for us? Well, he demonstrated that for us. He demonstrated that by giving us Jesus and for sending him to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, the penalty that we deserve to pay. And every week at Velocity, we we celebrate this this symbol of his love uh, when we take communion together. And so as we uh, do that today, uh, maybe you can do just a, Uh, a fear inventory, uh, maybe an audit of yourself, and maybe use this as a time to say, hey, Jesus, I I have been living in uh, chronic fear. It's it's controlling me, and I don't want it to control me. I want you to to be the one that I cast all of my burdens 
upon. So, so as you take communion today, as you celebrate the, uh, the cross of Christ, as you celebrate the, the resurrected Christ uh, that lives inside of us, uh, would you just be mindful of that? Would you thank God for that and, um, and watch your fears diminish as you do that? Let's pray together. Oh God, thank you for being mighty and powerful, the only one worthy of our, our deepest worship and affection and praise. Uh, teach us to, to fear you, to be in amazement of you above and beyond anything that we'll face in this life. Uh, help us to, to trust you. Thank you for giving us Jesus, for dying on the cross for all of our sins, for paying the penalty that we deserve to pay, and thank you for rising from the dead. So that same life that rose you from the dead can come inside of us and raise us from our condition of spiritual death. Thank you for your gifts, God. Uh, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.